aspect of tefillah, namely brachas and more specifically birchas hamazon, benching. We bench after the meals. Um, a lot of the discussion obviously is going to relate then to tefillah in general, but more specifically we'll focus on uh, birchas hamazon. Birchas hamazon is grace after meals, right? We bench after we eat. What's unique about birchas hamazon? Let's have any volunteers. It's long. It's pretty long, that's true, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's interesting. Yeah, how many brachas does it have to, do you know? I don't know. Four. 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 You hit the thing that we're trying to get at. Namely, what's unique about Birchus HaMozin is, is, that, it is that it's the only prayer, really, which the Torah ordains, specifically. Now, we've mentioned on other occasions that the Chinuch and the Rambam hold that tefillah in general is a mitzvah deraisa that a person should pray on a daily basis. But Birch HaMozin is the only clear-cut place where the Torah mandates that a person should bench. And it says so in a Pasuk. Uh, the truth is the... In reality, Birch HaMozin predates the Torah. Avraham Avinu was the first one that really instituted this kind of a uh, system, namely that when people would come to him, he'd give him to eat, and he'd make him bench, right? So Avram really did it. So the truth is, Avram was the first one to, to, to think of this idea of Birkas HaMozen. More specifically, Birkas HaMozen came about from Moshe Rabbeinu, but the Torah mandates it. Let's take a quick look. What? Women are bound, but it's a question if women are bound midaraisa or not. It's not clear if they're bound midaraisa. You mentioned earlier that only the first bracha is midaraisa. That's not quite like that. Um, the first bracha was, was composed by Moshe Rabbeinu. You know what, let's go through a little bit. No, no. It's a cause and effect relationship. You eat, you bench. Um, but... I think before we go into Birkas Hamazen, in terms of understanding why is it that benching is midaraisa, that the Torah mandates such a bracha and requires it of us, there is um, something which we could understand as to a rationale for benching which applies to prayer in general. We've mentioned it on occasion, but the Rebbeinu B'chai brings it down over here, so let's turn to page two, we'll start off with that. On the right side. Rebbeinu B'chai says the following, You should be aware of the following. We'll do basically the parts that are underlined, which is about 90% of it. From this Pasuk, where the Torah says that you should bench, we can learn a lesson about all brachas in general. We don't find anywhere in the Torah, any place, this is the only place that Hashem commands us to actually bless Him. Let's skip to the next part where it's, where it's underlined. Now the question is, take the word bracha. What does bracha mean? A blessing, right? So what is a blessing? You bless someone. If that's the case, then what does it mean that we bless Hashem? Hashem commands us, Eat, be satiated, and bless. How does one go about blessing Hashem? Why does Hashem need our blessing? This again relates to our original question as to what prayer is all about. Does Hashem need our prayer? But more specifically, does Hashem need our brachas? What do brachas really do? So there's a common approach that the Sefer HaChinuch and the Rebbeinu B'chai have, and he says as follows, Ki brachas einon Brachas are not something which Hashem needs. Elo hedyet. Who needs them? Hedyets needs them, not fools. Here it means regular plain people, people. Regular, regular people. people. Uh, so what does bracha mean? He says, El tzarech ha Hashem is the source of blessing. The kol ha-brachas hein mishtal shalos mimenu. All brachas come from Him. Kol anim tzorim ha-mevorach mosan ein kol berchaseim kedailah. Because whatever blessings we could possibly say to Hashem are not needed by Him. Ki wanim tzakadmon, because He's the first cause that caused all other things to exist. And our existence is only the result of his existence. His existence is sufficient for himself. Hashem has no need for others. 
in Canaan, even if we bless him day and night, the brachas don't add to him in, in, in any shape or fashion. What could Hashem possibly take from us? Therefore, says the Rebbeinu Ein The purpose of bracha is for ourselves. The word bracha, as the Chinuch and others explain, comes from the, is similar to the word brecha. Brecha meaning a, um, like a pool, yeah, that's what they say for a swimming pool, but it's like a source, a fountain of blessing that like expands. Brocha is like an expansion. It's an expansion of something that's good, that increases where goodness and, and abundance and blessing become increased. That's what Brocha means. The increase of blessing, the increase of abundance and bounty and good things. Hashem is the source of that. So what does that have to do with our saying a Brocha? By us saying a Brocha, when we say, who made when a person blesses Hashem, he is in effect testifying to the fact that there's divine providence, that Hashem is providing mozam to all lowly creatures in order that we should live. Says the Rebbeinu B'chai that as a result of the merit of blessing, this is a cause for fruits and for uh, the crops to be increased. And that's why we have the principle that he who derives pleasure from the world without a blessing is as if he's stealing from Hashem and stealing from the world. Someone that makes, that eats without a blessing is as if he steals from Hashem and from the Jewish people. So what is he, in effect, telling us? What he's saying is that Hashem, being that is the source of all blessing, He wants us to bless Him because what we accomplish with that is two things. First of all, we're showing that we're not animals. We're showing, in effect, that we are... Thanking you, God. We're thanking Hashem, and that we appreciate the <coughs> fact that we are... That, that, that there is Hashgacha, there's divine providence, we're ascertaining that it all comes from Hashem. As a result of that, Hashem allows us to, to be the cause of a further increase in bounty. This is the same concept that we have with prayer and with carbonus. Yes, that was a relationship, but now we're saying something even more basic than that. Hashem wants to do good for people. The Chinuch says, that's what it means when it says, HaKodesh Baruch Hu Misavalut Filosin Shal Tzadikim Hashem desires the blessing, the, the prayer of Tzadikim. What does that mean? So we've already explained in the other classes that it means because of the relationship aspect. But the Chinuch takes it on a more simple, basic level. Hashem desires our blessing because by doing that, Hashem desires to do good things for us. In other words, it's a question of creating a vessel that can contain the blessing that Hashem wants to give. If you have a vessel with a lot of holes in it, then whatever you're going to pour into it is going to just sink right out. When a person is able to appreciate that it comes from Hashem, and he says a bracha, what Hashem does is this is a mechanism that expands his capacity to absorb the blessing from Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu not because he needs it, and more and, and, and even more basically, according to the Chinuch, than just establishing this relationship, which is a spiritual bond, Hashem really wants to give us and shower us with blessing. To shower us with blessing, He has to, He created a mechanism whereby we, we do it. It's like when you, when you uh, try to um, educate a child, What you do is you, you put certain blocks and certain, you know, kinds of shapes where he presses the button, this thing comes out. What's the point of that? Because you want to cause him to be, uh, to appreciate, you know, how things come about. Hashem sets certain mechanisms into nature and into the supernatural realm as well. One of them being is blessing. When we say Baruch, what we're in effect doing is we're expanding and it, it's sort of like unclogging the conduits of divine light to this world. Sin tends to clog things up. It's like a form of spiritual arteriosclerosis. That what you're doing is like cholesterol. You're clogging up the pipes. You try to unclog them. Prayer, mitzvahs, avoda, tefillah, Torah, blessing unclogs the pipelines. That's a very simple approach to understanding what, why we bench. We bench for ourselves, very simply put. By saying that Hashem is the, is the provider, we are we are then attesting to the fact 
that there is hashgach in the world, there's divine providence. We are saying that we are above animals, we're doing a mitzvah, we're then expanding our capacity to receive the blessing. Hashem wants to us to, to be blessed because He wants us to be blessed. He says, my children, say a bracha. By saying a bracha, you get it. It's like what you do with kids. You tell them to say, please, therefore you give them. But what you're doing is the kids after a while learn that, hey, the way to get things is by saying please. Really, you're trying to teach them something else. But after a while, the little kids come over to you and they go they keep saying please, please, but you don't have the heart to refuse them. Hashem doesn't have the heart to refuse us when we say please. When we say please and thank you to Hashem, and we say birkas hamazan, He does not have the, but it's more than just He doesn't have the heart. This is the initial way that Hashem set up the world where the pipelines, the conduits of blessing come by and we absorb it by saying brachas. This then becomes the, the easiest way of understanding what tefillah is all about, that it's, it, it's really a replacement for avoda. As a matter of fact, we'll come back a little bit to this. But it comes out that in effect what we're saying is that the purpose of Birchas HaMazen is quite simply put as a means to be able to achieve a greater and, and a greater amount of blessing. The, the, the Gemara says the following. If you look in Birkas Hamazen, I have down the whole Birkas Hamazen, you'll see that there is a total of four blessings. Three of them are pretty apparent, the fourth is not so apparent. The first bracha is Hazon es Kulo. Hashem feeds the entire world with His kindness and His goodness and His, and his graciousness and mercy. He provides bread to every, to all flesh, because his his uh, kindness is forever. He, with his great kindness, he should never uh, cause a lack for us. Because of his great name, with Hashem feeds and sustains all life. Who may call? He does good to all. He provides sustenance to all of his creatures. And it ends off, You have, you feed all. You feed all life. Now this bracha is really focused quite, quite clearly on the fact that Hashem provides all life, not only Jews, but He provides all life, not only mankind, with life-giving sustenance. And it's a prayer to maintain this. In fact, the, the, the bracha is really a very present tense form of bracha. Where you're talking about the here and now, and you're asking the here and now to be maintained. Comes the ne- That's the first bracha. The next bracha starts talking about the inheritance of Eretz Yisrael, about the Torah, <coughs> about the fact that we have a bris milah, that Hashem taught us the Torah and He gave us the good land. And we thank Hashem for everything that He's done. And it ends off... And that's really where it says, That's really where the source of the command to bench is from. It's contained in the second bracha. And it ends off, We thank Hashem for the bounty of the land and the produce that the land produces. So the second bracha, in a sense, is thanking Hashem for past kindnesses that He's done to us. He brought us into Eretz Yisrael, He gave us the Torah, we inherited the land, and he provided us with a great land. We don't have it anymore, but we're thanking him for something that he's done in the past. The next bracha becomes even more specific. It focuses on Yerushalayim and on the base of Mikdash, and on the kingdom of David. And therefore it ends up with a prayer, a prayer for the future. Uvnei Yerushalayim, build Yerushalayim, the holy city, b'meheir v'yomenu, speedily in our times. Hashem, Yerushalayim, who will rebuild Jerusalem in his mercy. So what do we have? We have three brachas, one referring specifically to food and sustenance, present tense, one referring to the kindness that Hashem provided us with the land of Israel and the Torah and the commandments of Hashem and the bounty of the land of Israel. And then we have the third bracha that focuses on Yerushalayim, the Beis Amigdash, the kingdom of David, and it's a future hope that Hashem should rebuild it. There's a fourth bracha where we say to Hashem, Hatov HaMetiv, it's called Atova Meitiv, that Hashem has done good and continues to do good. But it's a very, very vague, unspecific kind of a bracha. So the Gemara says as follows, the Gemara in brachas, right in the middle. Omar of Nachman, Moshe Tikein Yisrael Birchas Hazon. The first bracha that we mentioned, the blessing for food, was composed by Moshe Rabbeinu. When? 
When the mon came down and they had bread from heaven, they didn't have bread from the earth. So Moshe Rabbeinu made a bracha that wasn't bound with the land, doesn't deal with the, with the commemorating what Hashem does for providing us with a bountiful land because the Jews weren't in Israel yet. They're in the middle of the midboard, they're in the desert, in the wilderness. They're provided by Hashem and the Jews at that time clearly saw that Hashem is the one that provides them with sustenance. So Moshe composed the bracha dealing purely with food. Not where it comes from, food alone. That's the first bracha. Who composed the second bracha? Says the Gemara, Yehoshua tikein lohem birchas haaretz. Yahushua was the one that when he entered the land of, of Israel, he entered the land and he conquered the land and he saw the great bounty that the soil of Eretz Israel was able to produce. So he composed the bracha in praise of Hashem for providing us with a bountiful land. That's the second bracha, composed by Yeshua on entry to Eretz Israel. Third bracha, David and Shlomo composed the third bracha together. Namely, David Tikin al Yisrael am Chobal Yishlaim David, upon conquest of Yishlaim, made a blessing for the uh, maintenance and for the blessing of Yishlaim, which is the city of Hashem. Shlomo, upon building the base of Migdash, because he's the one who built the base of Migdash. Tikin al Abayis Agodol Vakadosh. So, therefore, it was a combined effort. Now, someone, of course, is going to be very smart because they're going to ask me that grammatically it doesn't fit in because it's talking in, as we mentioned earlier, in future tense, where we're asking Hashem to, um, to rebuild Yerushalayim. The truth is that all of these brachas as we have them today, the Nusuch was really composed by Ezra and the Anshei Knesset Zagdala, like all brachas. That's what the Sefer HaChinuch says, the, I think it's the Rashbats also says the same thing, although the Gemara seems to imply that these three time periods were where the compositions of these particular brachas, what it means is in a general, broad sense, they were composed by them. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu composed a general bracha regarding Mizonos, that Hashem sustains life. Yoshua made a bracha that incorporated within it the elements of the Torah and the land and Brismila and these kind of things. And David and Shlomo composed something about Yushlaim and the base of Migdash. However, it was fine-tuned for us by Ezra and the Anshikhes Sagdola to refer to the time of the destruction and the rebuilding, etc. So therefore, some of these things were fine-tuned. What about the fourth bracha? The fourth bracha is a very odd one. We mentioned that it's Hatova Meitiv, that it's a very vague bracha that refers to Hashem as being a bestower of good and being good and bestowing good on mankind. Says the Gemara, who made that bracha? That was already after the destruction of the second temple in the time of Rabban Gamliel in Yavne, when the Sanhedrin was in Yavne, he made that bracha. Why? The Gemara tells us the following. We're all familiar with the Bar Kokhba revolution. Bar Kokhba revolt occurred approximately 50 years after the destruction of the second base of Middash. The Bar Kokhba revolt can, um, can be considered perhaps in a certain level in terms of uh, as the greatest tragedy in Jewish history. It paralleled, of course, the destruction of the Temple, but it was more than that also, because a tremendous amount of hope was placed in Bar Kokhba as being the, um, the reviver of Jewish nationalism. Even Rabbi Kiva and all of his Talmidim and many of the Gedola Yisrael believed in Bar Kokhba, and when Bar Kokhba was defeated and rooted so, uh, routed so soundly, there was a tremendous depression set in, and that was also part of the Hadrianic persecutions against Judaism. It was, it was very traumatic for the Jewish people. Besides the trauma of the revolt and the defeat, there was a tremendous amount of casualties. Over 500,000 Jewish casualties fell in Betar and vicinity, and the Emperor Hadrian at that time decreed that you're not allowed to bury the dead bodies. That means you had 500,000 corpses lying around in Betar. And he said, let this be a lesson to the Jews never to revolt again. That was terribly traumatic. For seven years, they were not permitted burial of those bodies. After seven years, Hadrian died. A new king arose through bribery and through prayer and through fasting. Permission was granted, a tremendous kindness was granted to the Jews that they were allowed to bury their dead. You can ask, what was there to bury? 
For seven years, the bodies did not decompose. That's what the Gemara says over here. Keneged Haruge Beta, Domer of Masna, also Hayom, the day Shenitnu Haruge Beta Lekvur, that permission was granted for burial of the of those that were killed in Beitar, Tiknu Biyavna Tova Meitiv, they made the following bracha, Tov and Meitiv, Tov Shalom Hisrichu, Tov for the fact that they didn't decompose. Hameitiv Shenitnu Lekvur, Meitiv for the kindness that Hashem permitted them to, to for burial. We now have really two questions that one could ask about Birkas Hamazan. Why is it derived so why did Hashem consider it so important? What's the point of all of these blessings being composed in the manner that we described? Why is it something which we do after we eat rather than before? One would think that we should make the grace like all the Gaim do. We thank Hashem for our bread, right? That's, you know, Gaim gathered, they make their grace before they eat. Similar to the way we make our brachas. That would seemingly be the logical way of doing it rather than afterwards. And thirdly, what is Betar's you know, the burial of the dead of Beta, why should that be part of it? Yes? Okay. So the okay, so let me explain the question a little bit better. The Gemara wants to make the following Kalvachomer. The Gemara says that if you have to say thank you after the after the gift, then you certainly make a Kalvachomer. It's it's a certainly so that a person should ask when you want to make a request. We're not talking about when a person gives you a gift. But when you go to someone's house and you want to borrow a cup of sugar, what is more certain that you have to do? Say, please, may I borrow a cup of sugar? Or what about walking in and taking a cup of sugar and saying, thank you for the cup of sugar? Well, the bracha before is the may I please have. But there is no mitzvah in the Torah to make a bracha before. Yes, the chazal, because of this logic, said that, it, that it's logical that if you have to say thank you, you certainly have to say please when you make the request. And that's why we say that a person that doesn't make a bracha is like stealing from Hashem. But then the question becomes more basic. If that's the case, then why is there no mitzvah midaraisa to, to make a bracha before? That's the question. Right. In other words, the is a valid kalvachomer, that's what we do. The question is exactly that. Why do we make the bracha afterwards and call it midaraisa when the bracha beforehand should really be the deraisa? He has okay. That, that's a good point. It's a very good point. We all know that a person who is very hungry believes in Hashem and relies on Hashem. When you don't have your parnasa, you rely on Hashem. The problem sets in more after you have it. The people before they sit down to eat and you have good food on the table, they say we have to recognize that this is from Hashem. After you've eaten already, you forget about the whole thing already. Anybody ever go to a seder? Everybody knows what a Seder looks like. Before the food, before the meal, before the Shulchan Aruch, everybody's going through the Haggadah very nicely, right? And they say every part, and they drink the wine and the matzah and the more. All of a sudden you've eaten the meal, you're by Zafi Komen already. Three quarters of the guests, okay, I'm sorry, it's late, we gotta go. The whole Hallel, praising Hashem, the benching, the Nirzah. All of a sudden everybody forgets about that, right? That's a tendency of people. That before that, that's really your point. That's true, okay. That's a very valid approach to take that Hashem wants to thank you more than the please because He's anticipating the please anyway. Perhaps that's why the sages had to, in, to make the brachas later on because the madrig of the people started going down. In the days of Moshe Rabbeinu, people all understood that we have to come on to Hashem and say please. So the thank you was the part that Hashem focused on. Generations later when people started uh, you know, not being what they used to be, so then already the Chazal said, hey, before you grab the food, say please to Hashem first. But let's go through the parsha that discusses this. And we'll see an interesting thing here. Hashem tells us, He took us through the Midbar for 40 years, and He put us through a wilderness and a desert for 40 years on the left, top left, in order to uh, afflict us, to test us, to know what's in our hearts. Then it goes on, He oppressed us, he hungered us, and he fed us the mon that we don't know and our forefathers didn't know, to teach us the following lesson. For not by bread alone does man live. Famous expression, right? But by the word of the mouth of Hashem does man live. So what does this tell us? First of all, everybody has really the question over here. 
What does it mean that Hashem afflicted us? I mean, He was giving us mon. What is the affliction of the mon? What kind of test was involved in the mon? Hashem provided us for mon for 40 years, and, and here the Torah calls it a test. What kind of test is this? There's two approaches. Let's take a look at the Das Zekenim on the bottom, and this is for now. The Das Zekenim says, like, like her, that says, Vayan Chobaderach. So what does it mean? By providing you with food for only one day, that's called hunger. You can't compare someone that has a food in his bread basket and his cupboard isn't bare to someone that has food, but his cupboard is bare. In other words, and, and I've witnessed this in my own life, that if someone tells you that you could live in a house, and you don't know for how long, but you live day to day, so you feel comfortable. If someone tells you that in two months you gotta leave, three months you gotta leave, today you already feel that you don't have shelter. You're already feeling it today. When a person doesn't have a bank account, even if you have on a daily basis all the food you want, but if you don't have a bank account, you already start feeling the pangs of hunger. If your cupboard is bare, and your bank account is empty, and you don't have what you want, even though you eat today, you already start feeling poor, you feel afflicted, you feel hungry. That's what, how Hashem hungered us. 40 years, He taught us the lesson of what does it mean to only have enough for today. It's a terrible, it's a difficult lesson. But that's part of the lesson. And what does it teach us? Don't place your trust on bread, and on your sustenance. What does it mean by the word of God? By performing the mitzvahs and the things that come out of Hashem, that's what's going to give you life. What it teaches us is that what keeps us alive is not the man, it's not the bread. It's the fact that we anticipate and wait for Hashem. If we do the mitzvahs and we keep the Torah, we're going to remain alive. If not, we don't. Don't have faith in your bank account. For 40 years, the Jews had to go through a time when they didn't even have a closet full of clothes. Just imagine, the only clothes that they had was the clothes that they wore on their back. And the only food that they had was what they had for that day. They didn't even have for tomorrow. It teaches you the lesson, don't rely on a closet full of clothes, don't rely on a bank account, don't even rely on a, on a cupboard with food, because it could still spoil. And we all know enough stories about people that thought that they had food and money and all kinds of things squirreled away, and all of a sudden, they open it up and they find that the things in their bank accounts and the real estate and their investments are worthless. That's happened all the time. What does sustain a person? Torah and mitzvahs. That's what sustains you. That's the test of the month. This Sphoros is just the opposite, on the right. To teach you the following. When you have everything in abundance and you don't have to work hard for it, and you could rely on the month, what about the person that, hey, God, God is going to provide? And he doesn't have to think twice about his parnos anymore. Are you going to still remember Hashem then? What the, what the test was, that if I provide for everything that you need, will you still maintain your faith and will you still believe in Hashem? Two opposite kinds of tests. One, can you have the faith? And secondly, once you have the faith, will you then still maintain or will you take it for granted? You have parents. Two different types of people or two different stages in a person's life. I'm saying two different approaches, which might be valid in one person's own life or with two different people. These are two separate approaches, but both of these are tremendous tests. One is a test of what happens when you're in poverty. It's a test of poverty. The other is a test of wealth. What happens when Hashem provides you with everything you need? Are you going to forget? Let's go weiter. Now, the Torah goes on and says... There's an interesting mitzvah over here, which I should really point out. What does it mean that man does not live on bread alone? Mitzvah says, similar to what we said earlier, we mentioned earlier that korbonus, that the purpose of korbonus is to bring parnosa down to the world. That's why they did it. As korboni lachmi, Hashem says, give me my korban, my bread. You give me my korban, my bread, that's one of the reasons how I'll be able to, to bestow bread and sustenance to the world. People could tend to make the mistake 
and say, and the Tzip takes it a step further. That Hashem doesn't merely just um, provide us. What does it mean that a person doesn't live by bread alone? It means by the bread that you think that you have to bring korbonus. That if you wouldn't bring korbonus to Hashem, you wouldn't be able to have bread. That's not what the cause of our sustenance is. The cause of our sustenance is Almoitzi Pi Hashem Yichiyodam. Doing the Torah, doing the mitzvahs, even if you have korbonus, even if you're living in the time of the Beis Amigdash, still a person has to do his own devotional service to Hashem by benching, by praying, by these kind of things. That's what's going to bring the parnas to the person. So over here, the Tzitz says, Kilo HaLechem Levado Yichiyodam is not really even referring to bread. But obviously everybody knows that it's not bread that's the thing that sustains you. It's bread from Hashem. But where does that bread come from? So you think that if you do certain kinds of things, these tricks are going to bring Parnassah. It's beyond that. What brings Parnassah to a person is that each person is obligated to bench, each person is obligated to do his Torah and his mitzvahs, and that's why the, the Torah now goes into the laws of, of, um, of Birkas Hamozen. So here the Torah then just goes and says, that Hashem is now going to bring you into a land, a goodly land, and it goes through the seven species where the, of what the land contains, Eretz Chita, Saur, Geffen, etc. It goes through the seven species of the land, and then it says, You shall eat, you shall be satiated, and you shall bless Hashem, on the goodly land that Hashem has given to you. At this point, we can already see how some of the connections as to why these brachas were made like this. It's already contained in this Pasuk, the connection to the Mon. It talks about remembering the Mon. It then immediately says, you have to bless Hashem. It also says in this Pasuk that you have to bless Hashem for the good land that He has given you, which therefore encompasses the, uh, the land of, uh, of Israel. And Hatov, of course, is referring to what Eretz Yisrael, the... Uh, um, um, which refers, of course, to the Beis Hamikdash. But what you, at this point, I think one has to uh, one has to now bring out the following. Moshe Rabbeinu, we said, composed the first bracha. He composed it because of the mon. Hashem provided mon to the Jewish people, he, and he therefore made the blessing. Nowhere in the bracha of Moshe Rabbeinu is there any mention of mon. In fact, it talks about how Hashem provides food for all of, not only all of mankind, but for all of creation. By Moshe Rabbeinu not singling out the man, he's teaching us the Jewish perspective on thanking Hashem for food. Because what he's in effect telling us is that there is no difference between the man that the Jews well, received in the Midbar, when they were sustained by, by, by supernatural means, and the food that a person has to wrest from the soil, so to speak. The banquet that Hashem provided for the Jewish people in the desert, or the food that a person has to work for real hard, both of them have to be recognized that it comes from Hashem. For that reason, the parsha of the Mon, of remembering the Mon, and the parsha of Birkas HaMozan are placed in proximity. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu made the bracha the way he made it. To teach us this lesson, that when we commemorate and we remember the Mon, and when we bless Hashem for, for the food that He provides us, they're both gifts from Hashem and we have to view them equally. There is no difference between a lavish feast and there's no difference between a banquet or of, of, uh, of immense proportions and a sandwich that Hashem provides. When a person eats bread, you make a bracha. It tells us that it doesn't matter whether it comes from mon from Shemayim, it doesn't matter whether a person has to till the soil, it doesn't matter whether you have a great banquet, it doesn't matter whether you have a small repast, whether you have just, just a sandwich. You have to thank Hashem equally, and more than that, you have to recognize that it's all a gift from Hashem. For that reason, we mentioned the other week, it says, yamsuf, that, the, um, that the sustenance that Hashem provides for people is as great a miracle, or as difficult, as the splitting of the sea. Which, of course, seems to be a very um, difficult concept to understand. What is the connection between the splitting of the sea and providing sustenance. But the fact is that really what Hashem is telling us is that splitting the sea and providing a hashgacha protest, a daily providence on a person and sustaining his life is all equally comes from Hashem. And as a matter of fact, there's another connection between the two. 
Because how did the splitting of the sea occur? Man had to do an act. He had to jump into the water. He jumps into the water. He thereupon recognizes that Hashem splits the sea and he's totally in the hands of Hashem. When a person tills the soil, although Hashem says, With the sweat of your brow, you shall eat bread. Hashem is saying, Although you are doing it with the sweat of your brow, you have to realize that there's a partnership over here. You're working hard, but don't forget where it came from. A person has to plow, he plants, he has to harvest, he has to thresh, grind, bake. He finally gets that, that piece of, that loaf of bread that he's finally he's able to make. He tends to feel it came from himself. Hashem says there's no difference between that and the mon. That's why Birkas Hamazan is placed in the same parasha as the mon. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu composed it the same way. To tell you that there's no difference between Birkas Hamazan, there's no difference between bread that you worked real hard for and bread that comes from Hashem. It says, With the sweat of your brow you shall eat. But then it says, Not by bread alone shall you eat. It has to come from Hashem. This is probably one of the most difficult of all tasks to, to realize that although we do what we're doing, it's a partnership with Hashem. Everything that we do, we have to have the other partner with us. Because if we don't, it's not going to work. A person could plant and do everything else unless Hashem provides, it's not going to go. So therefore it says, That man has to live in a partnership with Hashem, and therefore Moshe Rabbeinu, to teach us this, composed a blessing over the man, which equally applies to food that all creatures have, that even the animals have. Because to, to drive home this point, that when a person gets bread from the ground, or goes to the store, remember we once said the story of Benzoma, who Benzoma would stand on top of the Harabais, and when he'd see all the people coming, he'd say, the whole world was created for me. All the people were made for me. Because he was able to appreciate the fact that, that when he goes into a, into a bakery, and he buys a delicacy over there, and it involves the work of the baker and the farmer and the person that's doing the transportation, and finally it comes to him, he has to thank Hashem, and he has to be appreciative of all the things that went into the creation of this thing, he has to be equally appreciative to everybody. But he has to show this appreciation that it ultimately comes back from its original source, which is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, the mon and the uh, bagel and the bagel store are identical in that sense. Now the Torah goes a little bit further and says the following. What's going to happen? So therefore the Torah commands us to make the blessing of benching. Then it says, Hishomer lecha, but guard yourself. Pantishkach Hashem alokecha, lest you forget Hashem. Levilti shmor mitzvah, so that you might forget his mitzvahs. Pantochal v'savata, you're going to eat and be satiated. And then it goes back and says you're going to have great nice houses and you're going to have the increase in crop and cattle and kesev v'zov, you're going to have a multitude of gold and silver. And everything that you're going to have is going to increase. Your heart will become arrogant. And you will then forget Hashem who took you out of the land of Egypt. And you're then going to say, Through the strength of my hands, I made all of this. Remember the Hashem Elokecho, He's the one that gave you the strength. You know, it's an interesting thing we mentioned the other day. Where do we know Haman from? Haman from Hamin Ho'et, the person that is arrogant and he wants it all. The word Mon is really Haman minus the hay. But here it's in the same parsha over here. When a person becomes arrogant, your heart becomes haughty, Chazal tell us, that a person that gaiva, a bal gaiva, becomes the equivalent of it's the equivalent of denial of God. Arrogance brings out the denial of Hashem, and then you'll be as God. Arrogance is the first cause to denial of Hashem. That's what the Nochosh in Gan Eden was. That's what Haman Harosha was. Arrogance brings out the denial. <coughs> what causes arrogance? What causes arrogance is what the Sifurno says. The, his test, namely, when everything is going good and a person has all forms of bounty, and you have everything that you wanted, you, you, think you, did it. you think you did it, and you tend to forget Hashem. Says the Meshachachma, the reason why Birkas Hamazon is after you eat, is not because of the reasoning that we assumed earlier, that the purpose of Birkas Hamazon is merely that a person should recognize and thank Hashem and acknowledge that it comes from Hashem. 
Because if that would be the case, you certainly have to make a bracha before rather than the bracha after. <coughs> if the question is a question of acknowledgement, you have to acknowledge before you take rather than after you take. But that's not the purpose of Birka Samozin. Says the Meshachachim, the purpose of Birka Samozin is to effectively stifle the feeling that a person has when he's satiated, when he starts becoming fat. Vayishman Yishurun Vayivot. When the Jewish people became fat, they kicked, they rebelled. When a person has it all, and you feel satiated, and you start, you know how people are when they're hungry, and they need Hashem and everything else, they're all religious. Once things start going good, that's when people become frivolous, levity, jokes, and that's when the conversation, the level of conversation degenerates. When things are going good, that's when you tend to forget Hashem, that's when things degenerate. So Hashem says, V'ochalta, you'll eat, V'savota, and you're satisfied, now be'rachta in order to prevent pentochal v'savata. It fits in very well with the psukim. Bochalta v'savata v'erachta. Eat, be satiated, and bless Hashem. Why? Hishomer l'cho. Why pentochal? You may eat v'savata, and you'll be satiated v'rom l'vavcho v'shochachta. You will then have a haughty and arrogant heart, and then you will forget Hashem and you will rebel. The purpose for Birkas HaMozen is that when a person leaves the table, when he's satiated, he should walk away remembering where it comes from in order that he shouldn't feel that gasus haruach, that, that feeling of arrogance and, and good feeling, and then he starts degenerating. That's why Birkas HaMozen is more important, why Hashem commands it to be recited after we partake of food rather than before, because that's when Hashem requires it more, because that's when we're in a greater danger of forgetting Hashem. The um, this idea that we just mentioned that whenever a person has a tendency to forget Hashem either the result of being satiated and being wealthy or because you did a lot of work and you involved yourself and you tend to you rested the food from the soil Rabbi Shalshin Hirsch points out an interesting thing. The word lechem, lechem has a very similar root to the word milchama, lochem, to fight, to do battle. Because the truth is, after Hashem cursed Adam, it becomes a battle. Parnosa is a battle. It's a battle that a person tends to, you have to work hard, you have to work hard for a living, and even the baking of bread, there's a famous medrash that says that um, wh- there was a um, uh, an apikoros that once asked Rabbi Kiva, what's greater, the work of God or the work of man? Surely the work of, of God is greater. So in that case, how can Hashem, when He makes a human being without a bris milah, what gives us the right to make a bris milah on, on a human being? After all, aren't we then tampering with what Hashem did? So Rabbi Kiva showed him, wheat, he showed him bread, and he said, which is greater? He said, obviously the bread. Said, so is it not man who's able to take what God does and and somehow enhance it and make it better? Teretz Hashem put us in the world that we can be creative. The creation of bread shows the human intelligence and cunning in being able to maintain himself. And therefore there's always a danger that because bread represents the human being able to take wheat and turn it into bread and or in a parnasa, and you walk away feeling I'm the one that did it all. You, you fought a battle. Lechem is milchama. You tend to forget Hashem as a result. Because as we mentioned earlier, the hardest test of all is the partnership between man and God in the creation of his own sustenance. It's the same way that Nachshin ben Aminodov had to jump into the Yamsuf to be able to... Uh, to create the Kriyas Yamsuf, we have to feel the same way. That when we make Mizonos, is the equivalent of our jumping and Hashem providing. It's a combination of the two. Although Lechem is a Mulchomer, we tend to lose sight. Says Rabbi Shamash Nafal Hirsh, an interesting corollary to this. How can we find Birchas Hamazan by, by, uh, uh, we make a Mizuman? We find that when a few people eat together, they make a Mizuman. Why is that by eating that we have such a concept of making a Mizuman? He says because that's part of the whole concept of lechem being a mulchama. Part of the problem of parnos is it leads to strife. When a person feels he has to work hard for a living, it's always a doggy dog. There's a rat race. It's it's conflict. It's competition. My parnos, your parnos, and everything else. 
What unifies man is the recognition that it's all from Hashem. As long as you feel that you're the one that's resting the, your Parnassah from the soil, you tend to look at someone else and you feel it's unfair or whatever it is, or you, you, you feel the conflict, you feel the competition of someone else's Parnassah. Birchas Hazimun, making a Mizuman, teaches us, no, let's all unite together because it all comes from Hashem. Lechem comes from Hashem. Let's unite and bless Hashem together to show that we're not afraid of each other. That what yours is yours, what's mine is mine, and if Hashem gives you prosperity, it doesn't impinge on my fortune in the least. What's yours is yours, what's mine is mine, we could all join together. If people recognize that Parnasa comes from Hashem, then a great deal of strife and conflict wouldn't be there. In fact, all wars are ultimately fought because of economic reasons. We all know that we didn't go into Kuwait in order to do battle over there because the Kuwaitis were uh, Democrats or to free Kuwait. There's a lot of countries in the world that could use freedom. We don't care about it. It's only because of the oil. Everything is for economic reasons. The major cause of all wars are, are, are economic reasons. Yeah. All strife in mankind results from Parnassum. No, but the point is that we're trying to promote a, a form of camaraderie. It's only by, by benching do we find this union that people should get together and bench together in unison, where you join together. The reason for that is because we're trying to promote that. That's part of the whole concept of what benching is all about, where you're trying to say that I recognize that I am dependent on Hashem. And Hashem is the one that's providing me for everything that I have. And therefore, in a sense, when we gather together to bench Hashem, we are in effect affirming the fact that it's all from Hashem and therefore we could unite in brotherhood. It promotes brotherhood, it promotes fellowship. That's what it's supposed to do. Rather than the opposite, because Lechem is the cause for Mulchama. It has the same root. Lechem is a toil and a struggle that man has to wrest um, bread from the soil and it's also the cause of economic uh, problems and strife and conflict in all wars. So therefore in order to, to, uh, to counteract both of these problems, we bench to show that we are not resting the things, it's not our Mulchama, we shouldn't forget that it's Hashem that gives us the power, and also that there's no reason why we should have to have strife and conflict amongst ourselves. Because Hashem provides for all, and, and your prosperity doesn't affect my fortune in the least. So what we have really is that, is that although the struggle for Panos and for the creation of bread is where man shows his mastery over nature, that's where the Sakona is, that he may forget God, and therefore he has to have Birkas wasn't to remind him of that. Part of it, of course, is also this need for security. Man tends to, to go into this endless rat race of chasing for Panos because he wants to provide for the future. He wants to provide for his family and for his old age and for the future. And after a while, you tend to lose sight over the fact that that, you know, it's endless. If a person is going to just work for Parnassus because he wants security, it's an endless chase. What's ever going to be with Torah? For that reason, if you look at the Nusach of Benching, Benching is more than just a physical thanks to Hashem, thanks for, for the grub. It's more than that. It's an enhancement and a spiritualization of the mission of man. It tells you that, that you have to make time for Torah, that you have other duties and other functions in life. Have faith in Hashem and realize that it all comes from Hashem, and then you'll find time for Torah as well. That's part of what we learn from Birkas Hamazan. You mean you have find, you'll have time for work as well, you mean? <laughs> Depends for who. What we have to be aware is that the world is the stage that Hashem plays out His play, and we have to have the eyes to see that everything comes from Hashem. What Birkas Hamazan does is it grants us the eyes to see that all aspects all facets, all facets of existence come from Hashem. That in a sense, and this is really the essence of Judaism. What Judaism is, Yiddishkeit is a, it's like a whole tapestry that envelops all parts of our existence, all parts of our day, all parts of our actions, and whatever we do, we don't believe in limiting the service of Hashem, in time or place. We don't say that there are holy places. We say that a man's home is a sanctuary. His table is an altar. There are an infinite amount of sanctuaries that a Jew is able to have. Birkas HaMazen tells us it sanctifies the mundane, it elevates things, it spiritualizes the, the, um, everything that a person does. Rav Shamshin Hirsch points out another thing. 
he says that when a person benches, and part of the reason of why we bench after we eat is because what happens after a person eats? He finds himself with renewed strength. That's the time that you bench. Because now you have to realize why you have the renewed strength. That the purpose of the renewed strength that you have is to do all this Hashem. Remember the Rambam in Hilchas Deis says that if a person has the right intentions when he eats, when he drinks, when he sleeps, even when he goes on vacation, it's all considered the mitzvah. Because if you do it with the right intent to revitalize yourself, to refresh yourself, so you should be able to do the things that have to be done for Hashem, then even all of these physical things that a person does become transformed into spirituality. What Birkas Hamazan does is it goes after eating to teach us this lesson of transformation. That whatever you do is for the purpose of transforming it from the physical to the spiritual. It's to elevate the now that you have renewed strength, go on and go weiter. We go weiter. That's what Birkas Hamazan does. So we have now two truths in why we bench afterwards rather than before. Really we have three if you want to count what you said in the beginning. Namely that Hashem expects people, there are no atheists in the foxholes. When people are hungry, they're going to rely on Hashem. <coughs> the problem is, what happens after you eat? That's what the Meshachachma says. The problem is that after you eat, people tend to forget Hashem. To, to place a stopper on that, that a person should realize that don't forget Hashem and realize that you have to, um, and, and realize that where does it come from? And not to uh, be Vaishman Yeshur and Vayivot, not to rebel, not to be the homon, the arrogant person who now forgets Hashem, we have to have Birch Samozan to effectively stifle that kind of feeling. But we also have this other reason now. Precisely after you eat, because you're a human being and not an animal, the reason why you revitalize yourself and refresh yourself is for the purpose of doing Avodah Hashem. For that reason, a person has to go on and bench after he eats in order to realize why I benched, to refocus the, the purpose of your life. <coughs> Let's review some of what we've discussed. The point of Birchas Hamnanin, Brachas that you recite when you derive pleasure from anything in the world, is it's in Tilas Rishos. What you're doing in effect is that you're asking Hashem for permission to use it in order that you shouldn't be considered a Gazan. As we mentioned earlier, that he who derives pleasure from Olam Hazeh is as if he's stealing from Hashem and he's stealing from Knesset Yisrael. That's what the Rebbeinu B'chai says. The reason for that is it's called like you're stealing from Hashem because you are denying the Hashgacha. The point of making a bracha is to affirm that there is Hashgacha Hashem, that there is divine providence and everything comes from Hashem. By not saying a bracha, you are, you are denying that you are not affirming this Hashgacha. The, the point of a bracha is that it educates us that all facets come from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that all aspects of life are derived from His beneficence. This point is driven home to us by the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu composes the bracha of Berchas Hamaz in the first bracha without singling out that it's Mon Min Hashemayim to teach us that the Jewish perspective on food is that there is no difference between food that we buy or that we uh, create ourselves or food that comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this point is emphasized not only by Moshe Rabbeinu in his composition of Berchas Hamozen, but in the juxtaposition that uh, we find in the parasha between the Mon and Berchas Hamozen, where the Mon, where Hashem tells us to recall and remember the Mon, and to remember the lesson of the Mon, and then immediately it tells us about having um, the benefits of, of Eretz Yisrael, and then it tells us the obligation, the chiyu, for Birchas HaMozen. And from this, of course, is derived the fact that Birchas HaMozen has to be, uh, has to include in it the uh, thanking Hashem for the land, because it tells us about the land of Israel, it tells us the species that uh, require Birchas HaMozen, and that's the, from thence we derive that these species require Birchas HaMozen, and then it tells us the obligation, and from this we're able to learn then which species require Birchas HaMozen, the ones that are mentioned above, the seven species. And we also derive from this the principle that Birchas HaMozen requires mention of thanking Hashem for the, for, for the food that comes from the land. But the fact that it's juxtaposed together 
with the Mon, teaches us this lesson that drives home this point, that there is no difference between Mon from heaven and bread from the land. Whether you say Hamotzi Lechem Min Ha'aretz, or whether you thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for Mon Min HaShemayim, it's all from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And as we mentioned, that this is one of the most difficult of all lessons, and that's why we say, because the hardest lesson of all is to integrate the Yad Hashem and the Nes with the Teva. Although it was easier when Nachshon jumped in to the Yamsuf to see how the two things mesh, but for us to see it, for us to see that our Hishtadlus and that the things that we do mitzad ha'odam, the things that the man does, should be integrated with the Yad Hashem and with the Nes, that's the most difficult lesson of all. And therefore, the Torah uses the lesson, that not by bread alone does man live. In other words, not not only with the Hishtadlus of man do you live, but you need the Yad Hashem and you need Bitochen as being part of it. It's a partnership. And that's what Rabshan Shemir Paul Hirsch refers to when he says that Lechem comes from the root of, um, of Milchoma. Because although bread symbolizes the mastery of man over nature and his creativity and the intelligence of man himself in maintaining himself, as the words Bizeas Apechotochal Lechem imply, which is a Milchoma, a war over Teva and a war over other men. Nevertheless, it's only an illusion of creative power as being the sole cause. Because although man does contain creativity, as we mentioned earlier from the Medrash, that says that man, by baking bread, actually is a partner with Hashem in the creation of his food. But that's only a partnership. But it's an illusion of being the sole cause. And man is not the sole cause. Man is not the sole cause. Man shares it with Hashem. And this is the greatest sakana that a person could forget this as the next Pasuk says. Also the fact that man has this need to provide for his family and for his future, this causes an unlimited and an insatiable search for Parnasa. It also promotes competition with his fellow man, causing strife and war, and causing an endless chase and pursuit of happiness and the pursuit of Parnasa, leaving him no time for Torah. So therefore Hashem placed us in the Midbar, which was a school where we had a 40-year lesson, that this is not the case. And that our supreme focus should not be on our Parnasa, our supreme focus shouldn't be on our struggle, but rather on the more important things of life, such as Torah and Avodah Hashem. We are also commanded in Zimun to make a Mizumin which teaches us fellowship and brotherhood under HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This educates us to remove kina and envy, not to struggle and to compete with our fellow man, to realize that Hashem provides for all and that the prosperity of others does not infringe on our own and deprive us of our own self and our own fortunes. So we can truly understand that Koshen Mizaynoisen Shaladam Kekriyas Yamsuf because it's a Mulchoma, not only is it a Mulchoma to get Parnasa, but it's a war that man has to have with himself so that he shouldn't get caught up in this battle for Parnasa and that he should realize that the combination, that this partnership with Hashem, this Hishtatfus, this combined struggle between man to make Parnasa and his realization that it has to come from, that he has to have bitachon, and that it comes from the Yad Hashem, and that all of his uh, plowing and planting and harvesting and threshing and grinding and baking, and all of these things that tend to drive out of man his belief in Hashem's provision, it should not be the case. Therefore we have to have birchas hamazen, and it's juxtaposed with mon to drive home this lesson. And for that reason, we have it after benching, because that's once a man is satiated, that's when you tend to forget, as the Meshachachma says, and as is implied from the Pesach, that a person shouldn't come to this haughtiness and to this arrogance of Ramul that he shouldn't have this drive of a homon where he wants everything and nothing is, is satisfied, he's totally insatiable, and from that he comes to gaiva and haughtiness, which brings to denial of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
Gaiva brings on to forgetting Hashem and that ultimately leads to Kfir, to the denial of divine providence. That's why we bench after we eat. So the, as in order to be that we shouldn't forget that that shouldn't happen that that shouldn't happen and that we shouldn't say it's interesting the way the Torah phrases it not that merely that Hashem provides but that even the actions that we do we have to realize that Hashem is behind it the Mon also teaches us to hold in perspective the physical. We were helpless in the Midbar. In the Midbar, we ate well, that is true, but we only ate the type of food that Hashem wanted to provide for us, and we thanked Him for it nonetheless. And it places in perspective the purpose for food, which is the other point that Rabbi Shamshan of Hirsch makes, which is that after a person eats, and he now has new kaychas, new powers for Avodas Hashem. He has to be marked, he has to sanctify his kaychas, he has to dedicate and renew himself for the purpose of Hashem. Not just to thank Hashem for the physical. That's why the entire Berchas Hamazan is more than just a mere thank you on the physical, because the physical is not the goal. The ultimate goal is not satiation of our physical desires. Birkas Samozan encompasses much more. It's a spiritual bracha. It's a bracha that encompasses our avodas Hashem and our goals for the um, advancement of our spirituality. And that's what Birkas Samozan is. And that's why it's done after we eat, because of the fact that what we're in effect doing is we're transforming everything that we do into avodas Hashem. We're transforming our physical into spiritual. And therefore the bracha itself encompasses more than just thanks on the physical, it's almost a spiritual bracha of sorts. Brachas in general elevate the mundane. When we make a bracha on food, we are showing that that Hashem and Avodas Hashem has to permeate all facets of our existence. It enhances the physical with a spiritual element. It elevates the mundane of the world. And it shows us that Judaism has to permeate all facets of our life. It shouldn't be limited, and it has to it has to saturate our entire existence. For that reason, we always refer to the shulchan that we eat on as a mizbeach, because each Jewish home is a mikdash ma'at, is a holy sanctuary, is a temple. What's interesting to realize is that when a person does this, he doesn't really dampen his pleasure. When a person adds an element of spirituality into his life, into his physical, it doesn't reduce the pleasure of the physical. Rather, it does the opposite. It enhances the physical. It enhances the pleasure of the physical. By spiritualizing the physical, you're in effect intensifying the, the joy of the physical that you're having. You're adding an, a- an added dimension to it. When a person adds spirituality to his table, to his food, he's not reducing his pleasure. He's not placing himself in a more somber state where he can't enjoy himself. By adding a spiritual dimension, you're intensifying the pleasure and you're elevating it from the level of an animal to the, element, uh, to the level of a man. For that reason, when a person can make the same bracha for a small sandwich as for a lavish banquet, because both are gifts from Hashem and both can be elevated and, and can be saturate, saturated with the spiritual qualities and both can be equally enjoyable. When a person makes a bracha, he is showing that the purpose of food and of health is Avodas Hashem. And by having physical Muslim, physical sustenance, he's allowing his mind to become refreshed and invigorated in order to go on the quest for spiritual sustenance as well. Because an unhealthy um, body makes for an unhealthy mind. A sound body makes for a sound mind, and now you could go for spiritual sustenance as well, which is of course the ultimate goal that we should that we should imbibe ourselves, not with the physical sustenance, but with the spiritual sustenance of Torah and Mitzvahs. Ultimately, one can say that the word lechem 
which, me, which according to our definition means struggle can be understood on two levels. The simple level being that it's a struggle over nature. But on a deeper, more profound level, lechem means the struggle that one must have with himself. It's a struggle for recognition of the human and intellectual qualities and the spiritual qualities over the purely physical, where man has to battle himself to appreciate that there's a spiritual dimension to the physical. Lechem is a melchama, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to recognize Hashgacha, it's a struggle to see the Yad Hashem and the Hashgacha Hashem, divine providence in everything that he does. Lechem is a melchama, it's a struggle to recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to be Hakor, to have Hakor Satov, to have the gratitude, the gratefulness that, that is required of man to show gratitude to Hashem and Lechem is the struggle that a person should realize that the ultimate goal is not the pursuit of happiness but the pursuit of spiritual happiness that the true Lechem that he needs is not the one that sustains him physically but the one that sustains his Neshama the one that sustains him spiritually According to what we said from Shamshan Fall Hirsch that the word Lechem comes from the root of Melchama so it really goes back to the klola that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave to Adam Rishon when he said, Hashem said that Parnos is going to come with a struggle. You're going to have to do it with the sweat of your brow. You're going to have to struggle and fight. That's the way you're going to get to the bread. What the Pasuk then tells us is Hashem gave us Mon, which was a lesson of Bitochen to teach us that that Parnasa could come from Hashem that although there is this curse from Adam Rishon that not by the struggle alone of man is where bread comes that's why Hashem gave us the lesson of the man for 40 years bread that comes to us without any toil without any struggle without any kind of of mastery of man over nature that although there was this curse from Adam Harishan that tells us that we have to work for a living, that we have to toil and struggle for a living, but it's not the struggle alone. And that's how you read the Pasuk. Hashem gave us the man in order to show us that the Parnosa does not come from the Lechem, from the Milchoma alone. It comes from the mouth of Hashem. In other words, that although Hashem said even though Hashem said that you have to struggle and toil and there's a melchoma to extract lechem from the arts, but nevertheless, there's this curse, but it's not the melchoma of lechem alone that causes man to live, but